Good morning. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from, or good afternoon, I guess I should say, from the Florida Keys. How are you today? It's a beautiful day here in the Keys. Uh, once again, I'm dedicating the show to the Ukrainian resistance, to Russian uh, aggressions that have been occurring the last three days. And as things play out, the intention that uh, we will never know what the full intentions uh, of Putin were. I mean, one was obviously to get the Ukraine back into its geopolitical orbit of Russia and create that out-of-date Russian empire. So if his intention was to bully them into doing that and getting them to capitulate, sadly been mistaken. It was a political, it was a political and military move, strategic move that was, uh, I guess he, he was strategically thinking when he made this tactical move. His, his strategic thinking was to increase the security and grandiosity of Russia. And what he is reaping right now is a resurgent uh, NATO resistance, I mean NATO resistance, Ukrainian resistance against the Russian uh, invasion and a renewed dedication by members of NATO to their uh, supporting their self-defense. And also an unseen consequence, or shouldn't have been unseen, was there's two uh, countries, Nordic countries, Sweden and Finland, that have been friendly with NATO but are not tacitly not members of NATO. Prior to uh, World War II, or right at the beginning of World War II, Russia in, attempted to invade a much smaller Finland. And what followed after that was a devastating resistance by the Finnish forces against the much larger Russian forces. An embarrassment for Stalin at the time. And during the Cold War, post-World War II, till the 1990s, when, before, when the Soviet Union broke up, there were many times when uh, Russian submarines or aircraft would impinge on uh, the Nordic countries' uh, borders, Finland and Sweden. Finland shares about a 900-mile, 1,600-kilometer border with Russia, which is the largest uh, one uh, shared border of any country who is not an ally of Russia. So, due to those things, and Finland and Sweden, up until the invasion, had tacitly said they would not join NATO. Now there are discussions They've been cooperating with NATO for years. Uh, NATO forces have uh, conducted exercises on 
Finnish and Swedish soil. They've cooperated together. And it would appear because they've seen what promises of non-aggression from Putin or Russia now mean, which mean nothing. That his, his they can see his uh, standard operating procedure is to make unreasonable demands, perhaps use military force. And in this case, I think he overestimated the effect. And he is being the biggest proponent or the biggest example that people that were opposed to NATO membership uh, is the biggest argument against their, their arguments that getting into NATO would uh, make them less neutral and able to deal with side. Also, not being in NATO also makes them more exposed. And they can see that um, what happens when there's Russian aggression, that being a NATO member, the U.S. and the rest of the NATO members will quickly send support to neighboring states. So what he's probably uh, going to reap is an expanded NATO, one that has more entrenched forces, allied forces on its periphery. And we'll see more defense spending. So getting back to the assault on Kiev, it, it appears the Russians have made their biggest gains in the southern, uh, southeastern part of Ukraine with less resistance from the Ukrainian, re, Ukrainian forces. But Ukrainian forces are seem to be coalescing around the Donbass region, the separatist region in the far eastern part of that country near the Russian border, and also near the capital city of Kiev. And the initial attack, the, it, it appeared as if the Russians pulled uh, their punches a bit so they could cow the Ukrainians. So just the threat of overwhelming force, they thought, would allow the, uh, give the Ukrainians pause and have resistance melt away. But what has happened, it seems, to have steeled the nerves of the Ukrainians, not that they weren't steeled before. They will be, uh, it appears as if the resistance is stiffening even more with the world falling behind Poland. I mean, Poland, Ukraine. I keep on slipping back to that analogy from um, World War II. It took a little over a month, or about a month, 30 days, for uh, Russian and German forces that tandem simultaneously attacked Poland. And there were probably radio reports coming out, but there's nothing like the reports, live reports and the video you get nowadays. And you get the images of one particular couple. There was, uh, I, I share a lot on my social media. Not that I realize it's just social media. I realize the people that are really fighting are the people that are holding weapons in the Ukraine and resisting Russian aggression. 
And as they should be, it is their country. It is their country. But the duty of the rest of the world would be if we believe that a democratic country, a country that has democratically elected representatives, has a right to defend itself against unprovoked aggression. The Ukrainians did not cross their border into Russia. The Russians used the re- initial uh, support of separatists in the Donbass region to, uh, to say that Ukrainians were uh, subjugating Russian speakers there. And so they sent aid there. In Crimea, the same thing. They used it as a impetus to give support in, and then Crimea seized that area. So Crimea was, I'm trying to remember the timeline, 2008, and the Dumbass region was 2014. 2007, 2008 was Crimea. So now they're, as you see it, they, they, they've tilted their hand. They, they, they've signaled what they're going to do for years, for years, that they weren't going to stop. It wasn't a, uh, they weren't going to just keep on funneling aid and advisors into those areas and create a stalemate. They needed to have a change in the Ukrainian leadership. But so I don't see the point right now for them to keep on attacking Kiev because, yes, they can seize Kiev. Yes, they can perhaps kill the leader, Zelensky, who is, as of this podcast, is still leading the resistance of Kiev in uh, in the city, along with the former heavyweight uh, champion Vitaly Klitschko. You may remember Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko were heavyweight fighters in the 90s and in the early 2000s. And uh, brothers, Ukrainian. And Vitaly is now the mayor. I think he's the mayor of Kiev. He's helping lead the resistance against the Russian invasion. There are tons and tons of symbols of Ukrainian resistance, positive symbols. And there are tons and tons of negative symbols of Russian aggression, such as the Russian tank rolling over a vehicle with an older gentleman inside in Ukraine. The man survived, but uh, severely injured. And there's pictures of, uh, you you see the post of the, the grandmother handing sunflower seeds to the Russian soldiers and telling them to put them in their pockets so when they die they're going to, you know, their the, the body will, there will be sunflowers which will spout, spout from that. And sunflowers is a symbol right now. And at tons you see Ukrainian flags all over Facebook right now. Uh, that obviously does not help the Ukrainians. It could help them, you know, it could help them with morale but there's nothing like being able to send tangible things. So the UN is uh, probably going to be sending food and emergency aid. You'll have International Red Cross. 
You'll have Catholic Charities. You'll have all sorts of agencies. And NATO. I think the, the, there was uh, uh, several hundred million dollars worth of military aid that was released. Right now, it's probably really important to give uh, small uh, anti-tank anti-air missiles, things that ha- can be dispersed and could not be, you know, could be taken with them if they have to move quickly. Because giving someone, right now it's a little late to be giving someone fighter jets and tanks unless you're going to have them manned. And it, as it turns out, NATO cannot, and as you see a lot of people who, um, some people in the United States have said that Biden was the cause of this. It's not. It's it's Putin. And Putin. And we know that the only thing that stops Putin Putin is defeat. The only thing that stops him. So the only thing Biden could have done if he wanted to was to put troops into Ukraine, which he can't do because Ukraine is not a NATO member. Get it through your head. They're not a NATO member. I know. To be able to send troops, you need to have um, into a, a treaty that's not congressionally approved, and NATO is congressionally approved. In order to get troops in a country that's not a member of a treaty organization, you'd have to have the agreement of a Congress. And you say, Jim, you know, we did it in Iraq and we did it in Afghanistan. Afghanistan was a different matter. Uh, Iraq, they did. Uh, it took months took months they did they did the we did the build up we did it kind of like uh, a, a slow build up over months so there was a consensus build up internally even though there was a lot of resistance to to that so we have all these things we're going to blame you have your former uh, number 45 praising Putin as being a savvy and determined political leader. Let me address that for uh, a moment. Savvy? How is he savvy? How is he savvy? Just being brutal. That means Idi Amin was savvy. That means Hitler was savvy. That means Stalin was savvy. Pol Pot, Mussolini. Yeah, savvy leaders. Because they use, okay, they're brutal. The brutal. That's that. Is that the same as savvy? Because he didn't do anything savvy, poisoning and killing your political opposition, imprisoning your political opposition is not savvy. That's autocratic. That's dictatorial. You cannot use those words if you don't really understand what savvy means. Savvy means slick, practice, well thought of. He is not playing chess. If he is playing chess. He's trying to use all queens on a board where you're not supposed to have all queens. And the rest of the world's saying, well, that's an unfair chess match. You're starting out with 20, you know, when, how many, you know, 12 queens against. He is not, he's not doing tit for tat. He's not making strategic moves that are logical. If his goal was to weaken uh, that the opposition. It's not working because you see protests occurring in Russia. So he's creating political pro- protests in his own country. If he's seeking respect from the rest of the world, he failed. Most of the world condemns him. 
The only people that aren't are, you know, North Korea, Iran, China. Uh, did I say Burma, Myanmar? You know, just a handful of dictators. And China's and China's support is kind of lukewarm. China supposedly is asking China. China's seeing where the world opinion's going, and China's like, well, maybe you should start negotiating. And uh, the symbol of that would be uh, Lavrov saying, well, listen, we could easily pull out right now. All you have to do is surrender. You just pissed off a country by entering the door. It's like breaking into my house, right? And I start resisting, and I'm doing a pretty good job at resisting. And in the middle of the resisting, the guy says, listen, I'll stop trying to break into your house if you just let me take it. Let me take it and have my way with your family. And me, as the owner of the house and the leader of the family, says, I will die first before that happens. And that's the position Ukraine is in. So Lavrov asking the Ukrainians to surrender as they're beginning beginning their resistance. And this, yes, this is the beginning. And my feeling, once again, if, if Kiev, and it's still if, because a lot of, I don't know why military analysts are so sure that it will fall. Uh, maybe there's, there is a suggestion that the Russian forces are not using all of their capabilities at this time to try to reduce the amount of civilian deaths and destruction in there because once they do lay bare their unprovoked aggression with overwhelming firepower, it would be very hard for them with pictures on BBC, CNN, even Fox News, where they've been kind of apologists for Putin. I heard a very interesting take on that too, and I want to, uh, I'll venture, eventually mention that. So, that, that tactic of stifling uh, opposition at home, check, failed. Uh, world opinion, check, failed. People will not look kindly on that. The sanctions, yes, are slow acting. Are slow acting. But yes, they will fail too. They will fail, meaning the Russians will fail. Yes, they have... Uh, a me- they have a, a lot of oil and gas reserves. Guess what? So does a lot of other places in the world. Eventually, we are right now in late February going into March. Once the grip of winter starts rising, the threat of a loss of natural gas is not as severe in the depth of winter. As long as there's not a heavy-duty polar, uh, one of those polar vortexes that go into Europe, they should be able to weather this. And there are strategic reserves. And the rest of the world is becoming, I guess, acquainted, clearly acquainted with the tactics of the Russian leader And they're realizing maybe this is the time. 
Maybe this is the time to do that. A lot of people suggest they say, well, this won't this provoke a bigger war. When do you think it was going to happen? Is either going to happen now or later? He provoked it. Are you suggesting that if you just let him have his way, that he won't go any further? And when I say he, I'm referring to Putin. So today it's Ukraine. Next it could be the Baltic states. Then it could be Poland. Right now it's becoming less and less likely if there was an option for him to be able to get back the Baltic republics or maybe some association with Poland, it is dwindling. And the, are remem- the, remem- the remnants of political leaders that were still in the West or associated with Western alliances, such as Hungary and Poland, Orlan, that's the leader of Hungary, who's an autocrat, he is going to, uh, they're, they're going to lose one of their closest friends, who's a, also a member of the NATO alliance. Poland, which was virulently anti-Russian until recently, is once again virulently anti-Russian. Because they see a more kinship with the Ukrainians than they do with the Russians. So the the goal of a greater Russia, a reinvigorated Russia, they they may have tilted their hand too early, did not use this finesse they could have used. And now all the manipulation Russia had tried to do with like manipulation on social media here in the United States. There's still people out there in the American government of representatives, senators, who are Putin apologists, suggesting that this is an internal matter that we should not have to uh, concern ourselves with. We are not, you know, the counter argument is we are not the world policemen. That's the isolationist approach. If we were self-sustaining without free trade, that could necessarily that could be you know we could be a Switzerland, but we're not a Switzerland. We aligned ourselves that since World War One, World War Two, we are not a Switzerland. When we attack Afghanistan and Iraq and Vietnam and all that stuff, we are not a Switzerland. That is not our thing, and we're not going to become a Switzerland. And just because war is evil and bad and not necessarily good for the world doesn't mean we can stand by idly when someone is doing something wrong, morally, tangibly morally wrong right now. Invading a sovereign country that has democratically elected leadership. And seeking to change it. Now, a, you know, a year ago on January 6th, we had people here in the United States try to overturn an election. And we're having, a, we're having investigations in Congress. There's a uh, January 6th uh, committee to examine that. 
these guys, the Russians, are attempting to do what occurred on January 6th in the United States, are attempting to do it using their armed forces. And even the opposition, the opposition, who are they, who are they going to get? Poroshenko was the opposition to Zelensky. He just made a video yesterday that he's resisting Russian aggression. Unless he's playing the Ukrainians. And if, meaning that Poroshenko, who used to be the Ukrainian leader, is playing that and that he will accept a Russian negotiation. That means the opposition is just as determined to resist and seeing the videos of the the young married uh, the couple that just gets married and right after they get married the husband and wife join the civilian uh, defense forces of the Ukraine and it's become cool now that's the biggest danger one of the biggest danger is Ukrainians used to be well Ukraine what is Ukraine where is Ukraine who are the Ukrainians um, for low information people they say oh the Russians. That's lower information. The people that get their thing for Russia, don't worry. Listen to me. Ukraine is like Russia. That's it. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's a different language. Ukrainian and Russian are different languages. So, it's... They're, 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 they're from the same language family. Like Italian and Spanish. Right? Or Portuguese and Spanish. So that's hardly the same language. Try to tell someone who speaks Portuguese, oh, the same as Spanish, is it? No, it isn't. And just like I said about Canada, Canada, we speak the same language. The accent's different, but then again, the accent's different all over the United States here. And speaking the same language is hardly, hardly the case for a political union at this time. Case in point, the United Kingdom. United States, Australia, Ireland. I said Kenya, New, New Zealand, Singapore. Otherwise, we'd just be one country just because we speak the same language. Same thing for the French. It's not. It used to be in the Asia Empire, but not anymore. Now, if you want to become kind of... Uh, let's say, independent. You want to have your own national character. Another foretelling that could be pissing people off is that there's going to be, because of this, after World War I, let me make a prediction. After World War I, there was a creation of an international organization. It was called the League of Nations. And since World War I was called the War to End All Wars, and like all world wars, it wasn't called World War I until towards the end of it. People didn't realize. They called it the Great War. And, then more, and it didn't become World War I until World War II came around, if you think about it. So the League of Nations came around. It tried to do things to stop the Italian invasion of Ethiopia. Incursions by Germany. The Spanish Civil War. Interference in the Spanish Civil War. 
uh, League of Nations was ineffectual. So World War II comes around, involves much bigger, much deadlier, much more widely spread, much more advanced weaponry, and many more people dying. I think I repeated that twice. And costing much more and creating uh, a much bigger political realignment. Post-World War II, the creation of the United Nations. And that was considered more robust with a security council that was made, that the Security Council of the United Nations, I think there's two floating members and five permanent members. And, or five or six, let's go and name them. Well, the former Soviet Union, which is now Russia, China, France, Britain, and the United States are five permanent members of the uh, UN Security Council. And to get anything effectually done, you need to have all members of the Security Council. And there's a problem. You got two different, you have China and Russia, which meant China, there's a possibility that the U.S. can peel off China. And Russia might be expelled, might be expelled by the U.N. Security Council. And just say, if you are a bad actor, why should you be in this? Why should you be in a security council if security is not your number one priority? And that may be, they may have to just rearrange the charter or do whatever they can. People say they can, they can't do it. Well, maybe they can't. Maybe they have to say, listen, we're scrapping the whole thing. We're going to try to get a general membership vote, and we're going to make uh, the you know the Security Council this, and you have to get a certain amount of votes to be on the Security Council. Every so often, there uh, Syria has been on the Security Council. Some really bad humanitarian uh, uh, people have committed really great humanitarian crimes have been periodically allowed on the Security Council. But um, not being able to do anything that, that this event right here with an overwhelming amount of world. If you're a country that finds it important to be secure within your borders, like people do in the United States within their homes, they take great umbrage to the Russians being able to go in with impunity into another country. But as the resistance stiffens, it's only day three. Um, I have a feeling the longer it takes place, the more resolve that will occur. They are creating, Russia is creating new enemies around the world. People that thought, well, Russia isn't that half bad and stuff like that. And they said, well, look at how they treat their neighbors. It's like a friend. It's like a friend you have. You're on a friendly acquaintance with someone. You know them. You know them from the local bar, may place softball with them. You may have seen them at a, a wedding, a Super Bowl party. Say, oh, he seems like a really nice guy. Then all of a sudden you see him beating his wife in public. Or somebody, some other neighbor, being him, him being a total asshole. And you say, 
I guess he isn't as nice as we thought he was. So there will be repercussions. There'll be sitting. And I do take another great umbrage with people saying, well, we really shouldn't be pushing, punishing the Russian civilians. I don't think we should be punishing the Russian civilians. I understand that. But being concerned about the pain and suffering that is imposed on the Russian people while, while there's actually military forces killing civilian, Ukrainian civilians in Ukraine. The Ukrainians are seeing much more devastating implications of this invasion than the Russian civilians were. They won't have their homes destroyed. There won't be, there's not a danger of a missile right now, a missile coming down and crashing into their apartment building or a tank rolling over their car unless it's a Russian tank rolling over a Russian vehicle, which I will not hold against them because they will, I mean, saying that I would not be surprised if that happened. So, the suffering imposed on the Ukrainians, there will be food shortages, energy shortages, um, infrastructure destruction, home destruction, uh, I say communications, fuel, food, education, lives disrupted. Are you really saying that a belligerent country, you just want to affect the people at the top and how... I mean, they're saying we, we're, we're trying not to, it's, it's a nice sentiment to say we're trying not to affect the Russian people. But if we fought, we had to fight Germany during World War II when they used their population. And we don't know the sections of their population that are pro and not, but they use their population to attack another population. Then, you know what? Sometimes you're... It's a guilt by association. I apologize for that, my Russian friends. But, you know, there are protesters out there. I understand that maybe 50% of the people support the incursion and 50% of the Russians are against it. Well, you know what? That's not enough. Because your 50% that support it are enough. That's enough for Putin to be able to send two hundred, almost 200,000 troops there. And currently, there's only a third to a half of the forces that are around um, Ukraine engaged right now. We'll see. There's a mass mobilization going in Ukraine. The resistance is, is expanding. I think, I really believe, the uh, trying to explain to a Russian mother why their son died in a foreign intervention is going to be difficult. Explaining to a Ukrainian mother that their son or daughter or husband or grandchild, whatever you want to say, you know, everyone, that they died defending their country in their country was much easier. And that's where the propaganda war is heading right now. And it will not be good in the long run. But Russia has already lost. It's just taking a while for them to realize it. 
they made a mistake. Now there is a possibility of catastrophic things occurring, but I do not I doubt that there's going to be a lot of ang- angry Ukrainians and armed Ukrainians. And if Putin tries to put in a puppet government, good luck getting people listening to it. You will have a resistance that will be probably more effective than the French resistance during World War II because the Germans had control of the whole continent. And it was very uh, sparse and sporadic support from the Allies to the French resistance. No guarantee of that. But with the border shared with the Ukraine, uh, NATO is a safe resupply route. There was never a safe resupply route for French or the French resistance since France was wholly controlled by either the Vichy collaborating French government and the Nazi occupied occupied France. And then you had a friendly, neutral country, Spain, to the south with the rest of the continent of Europe uh, firmly in the hands of the Nazis. This, on the other hand, will not be that way. There'll be a free flow from that border. The Russians will not be able to secure that border. I strongly believe that. They will attempt to, but that will be the fallback area for the entire Ukrainian resistance to ensure that it's open. And the Russians would have to put a lot of forces in there, a lot more than they would probably want to lose. And that's the end game. If they expect a surrender... They may be sadly mistaken, and then the the tide will turn because they will be affected by sanctions, world public opinion, trade, being ostracized, banking, um, taking them out of SWIFT bank uh, system will, will curtail transfers of money and ability to conduct business. So the longer it happens for them, the more uh, pain and suffering will increase in Russia. Already we know there's pain and suffering in Ukraine. So I would suggest that maybe we don't beat the thing too hard that worrying about what's going on in Russia right now. Because for 20 years, almost 20 years, they've had their dictator. They had their opportunity to kick him out. And he hasn't done it. And he has threatened and cajoled and attacked his neighbors. How long do you put up with it for? Until the next time? And who knows what happens next time? People say, well, you don't want to start another war. That's how how you say you don't want to start it. It's it's how you protect a family, uh, uh, a domestic abuser. We've been sheltering them. We just got to get over it. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to, uh, once again, if you want to do something, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just check out, you know, the various charities that you can donate. You could donate food. You can donate uh, 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 to a defense 
to the defense forces. I'd be kind of careful, you know, checking out what uh, charities you're donating it to right away. So they're not, you know, people, it is the internet age and people do set up bogus charities. So be careful. Don't do that. You know, you can do it in 24 hours. It just takes a little research and you're finding out and say, oh, this is the International Red Cross. This is a good one. They're going to set up things to help refugees that are leaving, that are entering into Poland, Hungary, Slovakia. Right? So we stand with Ukraine. Thank you for all that you're doing. And hopefully there'll be some respite and some more support for you. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye.